Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. Today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 91. And just as we would normally do, we're going to be delving into this psalm. We're going to be asking questions about this psalm, about what it means, about how we can apply it to our lives. But first of all, I just want us to soak it in. Now, if you're around right at the beginning of our series, the, our Abide series on the Psalms, uh, you'll have heard me talk about how in, with Psalm 1, uh, it wasn't an academic paper. It was a psalm. It was a song. It comes to us like a poem. And the same is true for all of the Psalms, including the one we're going to be looking at today. And so with, a, with any uh, song or poem, what we do first is it, is it hits our, our mind second but it hits our hearts first. And what I'd like to do is I'd like us to engage with this as a, as a poem or a song. And I think as we do that, uh, to allow the Holy Spirit who inspired it to go beyond just our brains to enable the truth to settle a little bit deeper into our spirits. So in a minute, Tim is going to read the psalm to us. And I want to simply let the powerful imagery hit you and Just kind of try to tap into the feelings that the poet who wrote it is trying to stir up. And after he reads it, what we're going to do is, like we did with Psalm 1, I'm going to give you a minute or two on your own to reflect on the psalm uh, yourself and see what God's uh, saying to you. So if you're up to that, before Tim reads it, I just want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and meet with you, to move this just from head knowledge down into your spirit and to really engage with you through his word. So I'm going to pray, then I'll give a space to you and then Tim will appear and read us the whole psalm. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this wonderful psalm we're going to read today. I pray that you would directly impact our lives. Would you encourage us, comfort us, challenge us and ultimately help you to love, help us to love you more, Jesus. Amen. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armour and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honour them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. What a great psalm. Now, it might be helpful to keep it open in front of you for the next few minutes, because I'm just going to jump around in this psalm and pull out some of the imagery and the themes that I'm sure you've already clocked. So I'm sure as you've noticed, this psalm is all about God's protection. And essentially, it says the same thing over and over again. It says that if we trust in God, he will protect us. 
and it says it in lots of different ways, using lots of different imagery. I just want us to soak in uh, this wonderful imagery. What does God's protection look like according to this psalm? Well, loads of different words are used. There's shelter, shadow, refuge, place of safety, armour, protection. My favourite picture I think here is in verse four, which kind of pictures God as this mighty bird and we're his chicks who nestle under his wings and come under the cover of his feathers. It speaks of protection, but it also speaks of tenderness and care for us as well. But what does God protect us from? Traps, diseases, terrors, arrows, disasters, evils, plagues. And when does he protect us? Well, he protects us in the day and the light and the night and in the darkness, as it says in verses five and six. So what's the point of all this stuff? Well, surely it's that God's protection is complete and it's total, that we can be confident that he will protect us from anything at any time in any way necessary if we put our trust in him. I hope that's a massive encouragement and comfort to you if you already put your trust in God through Jesus. But if You can't say with the psalmist today that the God of the Bible is a God that you trust in. Well, I really hope it will spur you on to finding more out about him, maybe to keep engaging with him through engaging with the church here at Church Central South. And ultimately, my prayer would be that you come to know the Most High as your shelter and your home as well. However, with all that said, Jesus encouraged us to love the Lord God uh, with all our hearts. Yes, but also with our minds. So we do need to ask some questions of this passage, and I'm sure that some of them have already come up for you. The big one for me is this. This all sounds lovely, but how could it possibly be true? I think particularly the talk in the psalm of disease and plague seems to bring this into very stark relief for us as regards comparing it to our our present situation in the last year and a bit. We would all know, wouldn't we, as some from very bitter personal experience, that Christians have not been immune from the COVID pandemic. That evil certainly has touched us. That plague has come near us. Many of us would know family and, and friends who've been very seriously affected uh, by, uh, by the coronavirus and some who've even died. And, and some of them would have been followers of Jesus who looked very much like they were dwelling in the shadow of the Most High. Of course, that is just one particular plague or arrow or disaster we might face in this world because we do face these things, whether we're Christians or we're not. So the question must be, however reassuring this all sounds in this psalm, can we trust God to protect us? And if so, what would that protection actually look like here on the ground in real life? I want to make in the rest of our time together, uh, I want to make three observations that hopefully will help us here. And the first one is this. The psalmist is definitely talking about protection in this life. It would be very easy in the light of the evidence all around us to just make all these promises somehow spiritual promises. Uh, It's all talking kind of about heaven or about protection of our faith or something like that. But actually, surely it has nothing to do with the actual threats in this life, sickness or personal threats or other calamities that may occur to us every now and again. Now, what I'm going to say uh, quite shortly is that I do think that the foundation of our trust in God, in a sense, is in some of those spiritual realities. But I just can't believe that this psalmist would have only been talking about such things. 
Surely, as you read it, you think, no, this person is talking about real protection from real threats in the real world. So how do we put all these things together? Well, I think the vital thing to remember uh, here, as I, I could have already said, and we should always keep remembering through the Psalms, is this is a psalm. What does that mean? It means it's a song. It means it's a poem. And in songs and poems, there are all sorts of poetic devices used to make a point differently to another sorts of literature. And one of those would be hyperbole. Great word, hyperbole. And uh, you might remember it from your English GCSE or for those a bit older, your English O-level. I'm sure they, they still had hyperboles back then. Um, but we would all probably have come across that term uh, in the classroom or, or else in other places. And it kind of means poetic exaggeration. And what do I mean? Well, uh, we get this in all sorts of songs uh, that, that we come across. So, for example, uh, I would walk 500 miles. Do you know that song? Well, apparently the proclaimers would then walk another 500 miles uh, just to be the man who would fall down at your door. What's going on there? It's poetic hyperbole. It's exaggeration, overstatement. Let's try another one. Your lips look like crispy bacon. You know that one? No, you're not familiar with that one? Oh, well, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, one of our wonderful city's finest global superstars uh, at the moment, Lady Leisure, uh, you might uh, let that lyric pass you by. But whether you have or not, again, it's hyperbole. Lady Leisure did not actually mean with that lyric in one of her fam famous songs uh, that someone's lips actually looked like bacon that had been cooked for too long. What did she mean? She meant, in this case, it was a slightly insulting remark, that maybe that person's lips were a bit dry or possibly slightly chapped. She's exaggerating. Right? She's exaggerating. She's overstating. And we see the same thing going on here, but in a slightly different way. These evils will not touch you. No plague will come near your home. What's the psalmist doing? He's overstating his point for poetic effect. Come on, the psalmist isn't stupid. If we were to take this person completely literally here, we would have to conclude that no Christian would ever die because in this life, that particular evil is going to come to us all. And we all know that. But what he's saying is this, I think. We should be confident of God's protection. You should be confident of God's protection if you trust in him. God does look after his people and he does protect us in this life. Now, when we kind of layer this on top of other scriptures that we find and other ways that we, we know uh, of understanding God, we can see this quite clearly. Well, what did Jesus teach us about how we relate to God? His primary image for God was as our father. And our father, according to Jesus, was a good father who gives good gifts to his children. He's also a powerful father who is able to protect his children. Now, therefore, you would assume if that's the case, therefore, that God would protect us, wouldn't he? And he would give us good gifts. Now, yes, of course, at times, those, those good gifts could be uh, things that happen to build our characters and teach us patience and perseverance and resilience. Yes, that could happen. Let me ask you, what kind of father would only use that type of gift? Yet yeah, a father would have to help their child to uh, to develop in those sort of ways, but they'd also surely give good gifts as well. And that would be the default setting. Fathers tend to love their children, show kindness to their children as the normal way they would interact, particularly if they're a good father. I think when we experience suffering then, 
We might not understand exactly what's going on, but we mustn't let those experiences twist our view of God. Yet God does lift his protection at times and we don't always know why. But even despite those things, we should certainly keep coming to him as our loving, mighty father, asking him and expecting his rescue and his deliverance. The psalmist's main point in this psalm is surely that for all the questions we may have, it makes a real difference right now in the very real struggles of this life to rest in the shelter of the Most High. However, while that's true, I think there is something deeper going on here as well. And that leads me to the second point. that This psalm is definitely pointing towards a deeper sort of protection. So as I've just said, the psalmist may have been writing with a degree of overstatement and exaggeration about the measure of protection that we can expect to receive from God in the struggles of this life. But in a deeper sense, his assurances should be taken very literally indeed. Although strangely, he probably didn't realise it as he was writing. You see, got to remember the context. Where does the Psalms come? They come in the middle of the Bible. This psalmist was writing way before Jesus. And for the writers of the Bible who are writing uh, before Jesus, some things that we would take for granted now, living on this side of Jesus, would have been incredibly foggy indeed to these guys. For the psalmist and for other Old Testament writers, remember, it's things like this. God's purposes of salvation were largely limited to just one ethnic group for the Jewish people. There was very little understanding also of how God interacted with people through his Holy Spirit. And probably most importantly in this context, there was very little understanding or at least confidence in what would happen to us after we died, if anything at all. But then Jesus came. And in the coming of Jesus, there is this huge flash of revelation regarding the nature of reality and especially about the fact that our lives will definitely go on after we die. That Jesus couldn't have made that any clearer, not just in his teachings, but of course in his resurrection itself. What did Jesus teach then and what was this revelation he brought? Well, Jesus made clear in his teachings that there were evil spiritual realities at work in the world and those things kept us trapped with their chains of, of sin and death that seemed to hold us so tightly. However, uh, through his perfect life, and through his uh, righteous death and his explosive resurrection, Jesus defeated those powers and he paved the way for us to walk into this forever life. A life of quality, of abundance, but also a life of quantity that will go on for longer after we die. Forever, in fact. And what's more, Jesus made clear that there was a day when he would return as the undisputed king of all things. And on that day, all evil would be finally beaten and good would win. So look at verse eight in that context then. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished, the psalmist writes. You might interest, in, instantly reply, well, wait a minute, my eyes are wide open and it doesn't look like the wicked always get their just desserts at all. However, it's like the psalmist is, is reaching into this deeper reality that we don't always see in this life. But the deeper reality that Jesus made very clear is that in the end, good will triumph over evil and all evil will be punished. God is good. God is just. And God will bring all things to judgment. We might not see that perfectly in this life, but one day we will see it. The hope that Jesus gives us is a personal hope. We often focus 
on that. Abundant life forever. What a wonderful thing. But we've got to always keep in view that it's also a much more far reaching cosmic hope as well. The hope that evil and sickness and disaster will not have the last word in the affairs of the universe. No, justice, peace, mercy, kindness, goodness, those things will triumph and endure in the person of Jesus. So yeah, in a sense, evil and illness and suffering can come near us in this life. Even though we're under God's protection, sometimes they even look like they win, I suppose. But in another sense, for those who hold on to the hope of Jesus and rest in the shadow of the Almighty, none of them can touch us. They can't rob rob us of our hope. They can't rob us of our joy. They can't touch our inheritance. And that's the rock solid assurance we can know as Christians. There's no hyperbole here. There's no exaggeration. There's no maybe. This is for sure as we trust in Jesus. So how should this affect us then as we live? Well, I've got one final observation to make from this psalm, and that is that God's protection is a protection that gets us moving. Earlier on, we looked at all these different types of protection that are highlighted in the psalm. But the main focus on the, of the imagery was on God's work or actually on our kind of enemies, the threats to us. What are we doing in this psalm? How do you picture us? Well, at the start, we, we seem to be kind of hiding away. We're in his shelter. We're in his shadow we're under his wings, aren't we? I picture it like we're still, we're motionless. Maybe we're, we're taking cover from all these threats that we see around us. Now, in this series on the Psalms, the thread that we've pulled it all together with has been this thread of abiding or remaining in Jesus. We've been looking at how to deepen our relationship with him. And so often the picture that we might uh, might conjure up when we think of abiding would be very much like the psalmist at the beginning of this psalm. We're still, we're quiet, we're hiding ourselves away. I mean, Jesus said himself, didn't he, that when we pray, we should close the door, we should shut ourselves away. And for many of us, that is the key image of how we abide, maybe on our own or maybe with our church family. But it's a posture of devotion, of stillness and of rest. And you know what? That's vitally important. We've got to find a way to still ourselves down to rest, particularly in a, a culture that encourages perpetual busyness. But the funny thing is this. If we want to remain with Jesus... We've got to understand that he's not always still. He's not always at rest. He's not always inactive. In fact, he's never inactive. He's always at work, is what he said. I think the disciples would have learned this pretty quickly in their relationship with Jesus. Yet, as they abided and remained with Jesus, they had to know what it was to stop and pray. They had to know what it was to listen to him preach, maybe sat at his feet. They had to know what it was to go to the temple with him. But they also needed to know what it was to go and eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus seemed quite fond of that. They they needed to know what it was to go and cause some trouble, to overturn some tables here and there. And of course, they needed to learn what it was to carry their cross and embrace suffering for the gospel, something that they didn't learn uh, uh, early enough really, and had to learn after uh, Jesus's own death on the cross. Actually, we see this exact same type of motion here in this psalm. Verse 11 says this, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. See, there's a change here. They were hiding away before. Now we're going somewhere. Verse 12, they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. 
See, the imagery has changed. We're no longer in a fortress. So we're no longer in a refuge. We're on a stony path where God's protection now means we won't stumble or fall, but we keep moving forward. And what happens on that path? Well, listen to this. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. So let's recap. At the beginning of the psalm, we're sheltering in the fortress of a triumphant God. It's a good place to be. But by the end, we're stepping out and we're winning our own victories alongside him. Surely an even better place to be. God's protection is just as active on the road as it is in the bunker. And on the road, we get to have our own adventures and share in our own triumphs with God. So therefore, to conclude, my encouragement from all of this would be this. Trust God. Rest in his shelter. Learn what it is to dwell in his shadow. And you know what? For some of us, that might mean wrestling with some big questions. God, why did you remove your protection from me at that time? Why did you seem to leave me on that occasion? To trust God is not to avoid those questions, but it's to ask them in such a way that you can get to the other side and say, yeah, maybe I don't understand all of God's activity, but I still trust that he's a loving father, that he's a strong tower, that he's a place of safety and come back to him in faith and expectation of his protection and his love. So once we've done that, though, once we've trusted God, once we've learned how to dwell in the shadow of the Most High, I think there's something else to do as well. Because filled with that confidence, I think we should come out of the bunker and start stepping out in that protection. Go to dark places with the light of Jesus. Welcome people into your lives that don't know the love of Jesus and show them that love. Go to tell people who've never heard the good news that there is a God in heaven who is good and who offers us all refuge, protection and even a life of adventure in which no evil can conquer us and we can share in his victory. My prayer is that we as individual Christians will take hold of all of this, but more than that, that we as Church Central South, as a whole church, we will collectively own that kind of confidence too. As we abide, let's grow in confidence in our God's protection of us. But then let's apply that confidence by going out and crushing some snakes and some lions. God is with us. Rest in his shadow. Enjoy his protection. Do not fear.